Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another edition of Moving to Live. As you heard in the intro, we're a podcast for movement and exercise professionals, amateur aficionados. The ethos of this podcast and the sister podcast, FitLab Pittsburgh, is movement, part of what makes your life complete. Remember, you should be thinking of movement as a lifestyle, not just an activity. So pick things that you like to do, do a variety of things and move often. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us some feedback wherever you're listening to the podcast. If you've got a guest idea, take a look at the show notes or in the intro, we gave you an email address or you can find us on social media. Drop us a message and let us uh, know who you think might make a good interview. Today, we've got somebody that was recommended by Doug Holt. He sent an email to me and to today's guest and said, hey, you guys should connect. You, you both have a lot in common. And I'm always looking for interesting podcast guests, people who would do a variety of things. And I think it's fair to say today's guest does a variety of things. I'm looking forward to it. We have Brian Sutton. You may have heard of him as somebody who works for NASM. You may have had the good fortune to have him as a personal trainer. So Brian, thanks for taking time to talk to Moving to Live this morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I always ask people that I interview for Moving to Live, the initial part is, what's your elevator speech or your 30-second uh, comment if somebody sees you and says, well, what do you do? What do you say? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because it depends on where I'm at or who I'm talking to. If it's at a fitness conference, my elevator speech. Uh, pitch is a bit different than if I'm getting a haircut per se, right? But let's pretend I'm uh, I'm at the local barber shop and they're like, well, what do you do? The easiest way for me to describe it without going into great detail is I work for a fitness education company. I help certify personal trainers and fitness professionals. And so what I do is essentially help write the content, the curriculum that they're going to study to pass their test. And that's essentially my 30-second elevator pitch and they're like uh huh you know because most people don't even understand that that is actually a profession so. mm -hmm. 
And what's your uh, spiel or, or your pitch if you're talking to somebody who's in the industry? Very, very similar? Similar. Most people in the industry know of NASM. So I can say, you know, I work, I, I work in the product team for NASM. So I oversee product development. So uh, if you've ever taken an NASM course and you've seen the books and the videos and all the, the curriculum that goes alongside that, I'm in charge of, of putting all of that together. So working with the SMEs, the subject matter experts, directing the video shoots, writing the books or editing the books, that's essentially my, my job. But oftentimes they'll see the name tag or you know the NASM logo on a, on a polo shirt when I'm at a conference. They're like, oh, you work for NASM. And that's pretty much the icebreaker right there. And for people who are listening who are amateur aficionados and don't know what NASM is, NASM, I think it's fair to say, is one of the three most credible fitness organizations in the U.S., if not the world. I would classify it in the, in the same realm as American College of Sports Medicine, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, and maybe maybe you would also say ACE would come in as a, as a fourth. Yeah, I, I would definitely say those are the top four, you know, so ACE, um, NSCA, ACSM, and NASM, you know, all the acronyms, but uh, for the average gym goer or fitness enthusiasts, they wouldn't have an idea who these companies are, but for professionals in the industry, definitely they know of, of those top four and uh, nothing bad about any of them. They're all really good. I think we, they have their strong points and their weak points, mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, all of them strive to provide evidence-based content um, to teach the professionals how to do their job and do it well. And all of them, if there is somebody who isn't familiar with what I like to call the alphabet soup, if they see that what somebody is certified by one of those four organizations, they know, okay, that's a, at least a basic level of certification. It's much more than just, I took a weekend course and was able to get certified for $100. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I thankfully, the fitness industry has come a long way, especially like when I started back in the late 90s. It was, you know, you could go online, pay 50 bucks and get certified and call yourself a personal trainer. And um, thankfully now with uh, accreditation and oversight from URSA and different fitness groups, granted it's still not government regulated, um, but the the amount of rigor and the amount of, uh, of what's involved to become certified has, has grown exponentially. And I think the industry benefits because of that. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I told you the one of the most interesting things for me of doing this podcast is finding out people's stories. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite stories I mentioned to you was the uh, the lady that I interviewed, Sam Wood, who had a job skinning alligators before she went to physical therapy school. Yeah, Not everybody's going to have that interesting <laughs> a story, but I'm always curious, especially with the people I interview who are in the movement field is, were you a mover all your life? Did you, did you move when you were a kid? And as a second part of that question, was it one of those things where mom and dad said, get out of the house and don't come back till dinner? Or was it more along the lines that the whole family was active and it was just normal because mom and dad were active? My story is probably very similar to others. Uh, I've always been a mover. Uh, if you want to put it in that context, uh, sports was my outlet as a kid. I played lots of sports. I was never a stellar athlete, but I just loved the the competition and the camaraderie. Um, my two big sports growing up were 
golf. My dad's an avid golfer, or was, he passed away, um, and uh, martial arts. I started karate when I was 10 and did that for 14 plus years. Um, so I, I tended to gravitate towards the uh, the sports where it was it was it was just me. They were it wasn't team sports. Um, I did play a little bit of football, but wrestling and, and martial arts and and golf, tennis. I liked those type of sports. They they um, one of the reasons was is because I'm my own worst critic, and so if I can blame myself and critique myself and then improve upon my own skill set. That's what I always wanted to do. My parents weren't very active. You know, my dad worked a lot. He was an accountant. My mom worked a lot. She was a nurse. Um, but I did get some of those healthy habits at home. You know, granted that because my mom is a an RN and a diabetes specialist. You know, it was healthy meals at home. It was, you know, cooked dinners at home with the whole family, that type of nucleus. But they put a very heavy emphasis on studies. And so my mom would be like, oh, if you would just read as much as you exercise and play sports, um, which is ironic now because I love to read and I'm always reading. Um, but as a kid, yeah, I was just very active. And then uh, throughout time that that kind of evolved for me into wanting to learn more about exercise and nutrition. Uh, I used to beg my parents to let me lift weights. They wouldn't let me do that because back then it was old wives tale. It's going to stunt my growth and all of that, which is funny because I'm only five foot seven, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I wasn't allowed to lift weights until I was in the seventh grade and I was hooked. Haven't stopped yet. Um, but all other Sorts, facets of movement I'm, I'm still involved today so are you still a golfer I'm, I'm an avid golfer I love golf in fact my uh, master's project with Cal U was um, was a exercise intervention programs for golf performance um, so and then I helped write NASM's golf fitness specialist um, that's one of my my areas. Yeah, I just played last weekend. Played pretty well. Uh, but yeah, I'm an avid golfer. Love to do it. Teaching my kids to play golf. Um, granted, neither of them are really interested. My son rather play baseball. My daughter would rather dance. So that's okay. <laughs> and you mentioned you did martial arts for 14 years. I'm interested why you gave it up. Uh, well, it's because I entered the real world. Um, so I started when I was 10. I did it all the way through my undergrad. And then once I graduated from college and I had to work a nine to five, that's when it became difficult to, uh, to continue. And then from there, you know, the usual story, I got married, had children, and now, um, it, it's been difficult to, to get back into it, but I'm gosh, I competed all across California on the tournament circuit. If you ever watch karate kid, that kind of point fighting type of deal. Yeah, that was me. I did a lot of that. We did demonstrations all across uh, the United States, you know, where we do weapons <clears throat> and break boards and all that kind of fun stuff and really loved it. And it was actually a, a, a great outlet for me as well regarding movement. Um, I would, have a hundred students in front of me and I would take them through the whole class, you know, from the warmups to the exercises, to the different drills that you do for, uh, for the martial arts practice. Um, and so that actually having that experience helped me later on in my career when I became a personal trainer. I'm curious with both of those activities, most kids, myself included, until I realized I didn't have skill, had this idea at some point 
with the sports that they play. Oh, I'm going to do this professionally, or I'm going to go yeah. to the Olympics. Yep. Did you have that thought? And what was the moment where you realized, yeah, this just isn't a realistic thing for me? <laughs> um, I, I never had the thought regarding martial arts, even though I felt I was pretty good at it. But, um, you know, I, I did Kempo. I didn't do Taekwondo. So there wasn't an Olympic sport for that. Um, and, I, you know, I had no delusions of grandeur that I was going to be the next Jean-Claude Van Damme or Bruce Lee and be a movie star. Uh, but I did have inclinations that I could be at least a collegiate golfer. Um, I played all through high school. Um, I, I played for my junior college and then I tried out for my alma mater, which was uh, UC Santa Barbara, go Gauchos. Um, but uh, I was a senior and I did not play my best that day, did not make the team. And so, but at one point I was like, you know, I could be a collegiate golfer. And then I also thought about, well, if I don't make it um, when I graduate, I could at least become a PGA pro and be a teaching professional. Um, that didn't happen. I think I could have, uh, but I went down a different avenue from there. So you go to college. What did you major in in college? Yeah, that's ironic. So when I was 18, 19, 20, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I loved sports. I wanted to do something in sports medicine, but I second-guessed my own ability to do it. So I started out as an accounting economics major because my dad's a CPA. You know, I see him get up, go to work, wear a suit and tie, you know, supports his family. That's something I can do. A year into that major, I realized, boy, I really don't like this stuff. This is incredibly bland and dry. Um, but at UC Santa Barbara, they didn't have an exercise science program or anything that really tugged at my heartstrings. So I figured out what can I take all these credits that I've already accumulated? What can I, what major can help me graduate? And that was communications. So I ended up graduating with a communications degree and a minor in sport management because they had just started a minor program in sport management. So that was a lot of fun. And during my undergrad, that's when I got into the fitness bug and the personal training bug. I worked at a small gym off campus owned by the university. Um, and so me and a few others, including Doug Cole, who you mentioned earlier, we worked at this, at this gym. That's where we got to know each other um, and became all consumed regarding fitness during my undergrad. What were your parents' thoughts about that when you became all consumed and thought that, or actually before I asked that, when was the realization that, hey, this might be a career? The realization it might be a career actually didn't come till well after I graduated. Um, I remember having a conversation with Doug. We are seniors in college. And he's like, what would be your dream job? If you had one thing, what would be your dream job? And at that time, it'd be like, I want to open up my own gym slash martial arts studio. If I could have a martial arts studio and a gym, because those are my two passions, um, that would be my ultimate dream job. But uh, once I graduate, I'm like, there's no way I can make this work. I see my dad struggle with his accounting business for so many years. I don't want to be a business owner. So I actually went a different route and went and worked in some dead-end sales jobs for the next several years. While working those sales jobs, I was personal training on the side. Uh, so part-time in-home, at the park, early evenings, or, or evenings, early mornings, that, that sort of thing to keep that fitness bug going. But I was actually working in a dead-end sales job um, for a couple of years. And 
I couldn't take it anymore. And that's when I decided to go to graduate school. And it was actually in graduate school where I made the leap full time into fitness. And I'm curious with, uh, while you're working as a personal trainer and having the dead end job on the side, Mm -hmm. did you have any uh, fitness certifications? Were you aware of fitness certifications? Because it's kind of interesting now because you're in a fitness certification job. (laughs) Yeah, ironically, while I was in my undergrad, I went through the ACE certification. that was what was touted and that's what I knew about. So I, I actually studied the ACE curriculum, didn't get certified with ACE. And then as soon as I graduated, another uh, friend of mine recommended NASM. And so I went through the NASM certification. So this was early 2000s uh, and got certified as, as an NASM professional and started training clients that way. And during that five-year period, it's a lot of working nine to five out of dead-end job, personal training with short stints at gyms. Um, I got a couple gyms where they let me work work there part-time, goals, 24-hour fitness, Simi Valley Athletic Club. So I got some gym experience, but most of my experience was actually just building my own client base through referrals and going to people's homes. I'm curious with uh, with this because uh, I know that there are many people who go in the fitness world and they say, well, I was a really good athlete or uh, clients look at them and say, well, that person's a really good athlete, so they'll be a good trainer. What was it that made you think, hey, I think I should get some certifications or I need to, I need to have a certification? Uh, <laughs> good question. I, I felt like in order for me to be a credible personal trainer, right? Because I wanted to be viewed as an authority figure. Yes, I, I, I worked out a lot on my own, right? I have time under the bar, as some uh, professionals say. Uh, and I read a lot. I just, I felt like I needed to take it to the next level if I was going to now not apply it to me, but somebody else, you know? And uh, I know how my body works, but I don't, I, I don't know how somebody else's body works. And, and, you know, and I ended up working with all kinds of different types of clients, um, a lot of postnatal women who just wanted to lose some baby weight. Well, that's very different from a, you know, 27 year old man, you know, so getting a certification helped me. And then, you know, more than anything, it, it gave me the confidence I needed or that I felt that I needed to work with a variety of different populations. Uh, I worked with a few senior clients. Uh, I worked with a lot of people who were just overweight and had hypertension and type 2 diabetes, and I wanted to make sure that I had the tools not to hurt them during our workouts. I know there are a huge number of people who go into the fitness field with two thoughts, either number one, well, I really love to work out, so if I go into the fitness field, I'll have even more time to work out, and I can get paid to work out. Yep. And then there's also a, a large contingent of people who their idea is, you know, I want to go in the fitness field and I want to work only with elite athletes because I mean, that's, oh, the, sure. that's the pinnacle, yep. Yep. which I think given, given your experience, you would agree with me that that's the pinnacle for some people, but that's really the minority and the people who are making their living working with elite athletes is relatively small compared to all of the people in the fitness field. It is. Um, and I'll be honest, that was one of my dreams. I would love to work with a lot of elite athletes. Um, you know, obviously in my own personal career, I found myself working with, you know, the average day person just looking to get healthier, maybe lose a little bit of weight, um, stick around for their kids and their grandkids. Uh, but when then I joined NASM, 
So this is in 2004. Uh, they had their offices was in Calabasas, California, um, and they had a big uh, clinic there. And so it was pretty neat to see all the professional athletes coming through the clinic. Um, you know, NFL football players, MLB, Cy Young Award winners, NBA All Stars and MVPs, and just the who's who's of uh, of athletics. They were going through this clinic, and I'd see them. And they're working with physical therapists, and they're working with strength coaches. And I was just like, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, I, I think I finally found my home, and uh, so I haven't looked back ever since. My, my claim to fame with that is the week before I started working at a sports medicine clinic after getting my master's degree, that physician was where Joe Montana came to get his second opinion before he had elbow surgery. Ah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I missed it by a week. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, re I remember all of the physical therapists and athletic trainers saying that he was one of the most polite patients they'd ever had. Really? And yeah. they, they were surprised because they were thinking, well, you know, top level athlete, Super Bowl mm -hmm. winner, he's just going to be a jerk. And they said he was just incredibly polite to everybody. I, I've had uh, quite a few run-ins with professional athletes. And I can say that, you know, they're just like every other person. You have those that are incredibly polite and you have those that are not. Um, I've, I've seen athletes where, uh, you know, we just had wonderful conversations and other ones where they they literally had their, their posse hanging out on the side with their arms folded while, you know, while they're getting treatment, whether it's a massage or whatever, they're, they're on their cell phone and not paying attention. And so I, I've, I've seen both sides of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, they're at the end of the day, they're just people like us. They just have a, a certain gift that some of us don't have. <laughs> <laughs> I've interviewed a couple of scientists and they always say, or number, they've all said that one way or the other, that there are some basic physiological principles with training, but everybody is an N of one. So I think yeah. that, that transfers across. I'm yeah. kind of interested also, you're in a, what you described as a, as a dead end sales job doing personal yeah. training on the side. Mm -hmm. Word of mouth, you get more and more clients. Yeah. What was it that made you say, you know what? I'm going to go for it because that's a big change. And what was the, what was your family's thought when you said, Hey, you know, I'm going to do this fitness thing full time. Yeah, it was, it was, I, if you ever seen the movie office space, I had an office space moment. I was working a dead end sales job. And in this environment, I had to make monthly quotas and I'm not a salesperson. And I just, and this was telemarketing. Um, and I just, so I would make a quota one month, be on probation the next month. And this was going on for over a year. And I was uh, one sale away from making my quota, but I was already on probation. So if I didn't, if I didn't make the sale that day, the company policy was they going to let you go. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I just got to get one more sale. You know, that's fine. And I have my, it's eight in the morning. My manager comes in. She's like, you're going to get it. You're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. And then I'm just thinking, I just can't stand this place. I can't stand doing this. And then another manager walks into my, my little cube area as well. I was going to be switching teams the next month. And he's preaching to me, you're going to do this. Get the sale. You know, you'll be on my team next month. This is going to be great. And I look at them both. 
and I just started packing my things. <laughs> and I said, sorry, gang, I'm out of here. Couldn't do it. I could not pick up the phone one more time. And I, I just left and their jaws just dropped. I was already in graduate school at that time. Um, I was doing, it was at night. So it was, it was, it was tough. Cause I would have to, I'd had a three hour commute to graduate school. But anyway, my professor, he, uh, his name was Rich Cellini. He was awesome. Part of this class was to come up with your five-year plan. What are you going to do? Where are you going to work? And he, uh, it was very specific, you know, to the conferences you're going to go to, to the resumes, to the places where you're going to send your resume, who you're going to call. And I'd been certified by NASM. They were only 10 minutes down the road from me. And I told them, like, you know, I'm thinking maybe I can work for them. And so when I quit that day, I put together my resume and then I just picked up the phone and I called NASM and I'm like, and they said, hey, we have an open position. It's in the sales department. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I took it because I knew at least that was my foot in the door. And uh, throughout that first year at NASM, I'm working sales, which I don't enjoy, but I was in graduate school. I wrote every paper I wrote I, I made it, uh, I sent it to upper management. And uh, at that time, Mark, Mike Clark, he's another physical therapist. He was running NASM. Um, and then to be one of my mentors, Scott Lucette, I kept sending him all my papers. Like, hey, I wrote this paper about golf performance. Hey, I wrote this paper about cardio training, da, 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 da. After a year of harassment, they finally said, hey, do you want to come over to the education side? And I said, yes. And so then from there, my, my career skyrocketed. But it took some persistence to get there. Yeah. So the take-home message from that is it doesn't happen overnight. No. no. And nor should it have. I was – honestly, I was – I had a degree in communications and I was in graduate school, but I didn't have a graduate degree and I was working as a part-time personal trainer. I mean, to say that I was ready to be a curriculum developer for an education company, no, I wasn't ready. Uh, I'm getting a second graduate degree through Cal U in exercise science. And I don't know, I probably have over a dozen different certifications at this point. You know, I'm a CSCS and, um, you know, I, I went, I, I go to all the other organizations too, because they all have good things to teach. Um, but yeah, it took time. It took a lot of time and it took a lot of uh, um, stamina to keep going. Uh, every, all the work I did for NASM when I first started in the education side got red inked like no other. <laughs> I mean, it would just get red inked and sent back to me and I'd revise and um, I grew some thick skin, but I, that it was, it was a wonderful experience and, you know, it brought me to where I'm at today where now I'm actually the one running the team. So we're talking with Brian Sutton. He is the content and production manager for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. He's told us his story on how he has gone from a, his words, not mine, a dead end sales job mm-hmm. to working with NASM to a job that maybe he didn't want initially with them in sales and just kept his nose to the grindstone and was persistent and things worked out. We're going to come back in two weeks and find out a little bit more about what he does professionally. I think it's interesting to learn from somebody who started out essentially knowing nothing, learned more, 
and has progressed on to actually writing content for people who are in the fitness world. I think it's always also interesting to find out why he decided to pursue a second degree while having a job, since there are a huge number of people when they finish school say, I'm done, I'm good, I've I've learned everything I need to know. So Brian, thanks for talking to Moving to Live. I'm looking forward to talking to you in two weeks. Thank you, me too. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of FitLab PGH, brought to you by Moving to Live. Intro and exit music is Marathon Man by Jason Shaw. Check out the show notes for contact info for our latest guests, links to other information mentioned in the episode, and links to our sister podcast, Moving to Live. Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise for professionals and amateur aficionados. Moving to Live offers topics from career development to coaching tips and education resources to advice for parents of student-athletes. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play, or check out our website for other subscription options. Your free subscription gets you notified when we release a new episode. Questions, comments, suggestions? Email us at fitlabpgh at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at fitlabpgh and like us on Facebook. If you enjoy our podcasts, please tell your friends about us and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make FitLab PGH a go-to place to learn more about movement in the Pittsburgh area. Until next time, keep on moving.